Welcome back to another exciting episode of Die Hard Minute, where every day, Monday through Friday, Movies by Minutes hosts talk about one minute of the greatest Christmas movie of all time. I'm Gary Roby. I'm Victoria Cope. And we have Brian Green with us again. Welcome back, Brian. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. I'm, I'm, I, I'm glad to be here. It's, it's, it's almost, I almost feel like disingenuous, like calling you uh like our guest on the show because you're doing just as many minutes as we are right now <laughs> but you're doing all the legwork i'm i'm just i'm just doing whatever <laughs> i mean i took some notes i got i got prepared yeah but i don't know this is fun i'm having a good time i was worried that these are going to be weird choppy minutes because it's a movie that we haven't talked a lot about yet and we're just uh-huh. sort of flying by the seat of our pants but i'm having so much fun oh yeah Today we're talking about minute 34. Minute 34 starts with sinister music and it ends with the seventh lock. Um, so we get a lot of, of, of Heinrich and the guys on the roof in the beginning of this minute for the first, like what, 15, 20 seconds. Like it's a good chunk of this minute. Heinrich told, uh, Marco yesterday, like you go through here and I'll throw you the cord. And then we get to watch as he throws him the cord. Exciting. <laughs> Rope throwing action, action, action. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Oh. Uh, we're not supposed to understand like what it is that's going on here, though. Yet, no, I don't think so because it. You know, I know what's going on because I've seen the movie yeah. a thousand times. But no, I don't think we're supposed to know by this point because there was, I, I there were times where I'd seen this movie maybe ten times and I still didn't quite understand what was going on at this moment. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, what are these guys on the roof doing? They're throwing ropes around, and this guy stuck some weird silly putty to the ceiling. I, I didn't mean to say silly putty like like the actual <laughs> silly putty stuff, but that's what it looks like. When I was a kid, God, now I'm going to tell a stupid silly putty story. When I was a kid, uh, I used to really, we used to have, because silly putty came in those little like eggs. And so I had a bunch of them that I got for like Easter one year or something, me and my sister. I must have been like little, like five or six. And I stuck it to the ceiling. And I didn't realize that silly putty was originally made to be like a paint remover. And I just ripped the paint off the ceiling. Nice. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> totally unrelated to what's going on here. But that's what it looks like. It's this big ball of like clay or something that he sticks to the the underside of the roof. The helipad? Are they under the helipad? Are they yeah, like I think in so. open so so yeah, they're in like open air. So they are on the roof. There's just like there's like roof access and then there's still like that staircase up to the actual helipad where where we'll see everybody later. I think it... I mean, I guess it's not totally, it's not totally obvious that they're like wiring explosives. No. They they could be trying to hack something for all we know, especially people in the 80s. They would have no idea what hacking really entailed. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, they're, they're trying to hack the code. <laughs> they're, yeah, they're trying to figure out that uh, we could, we could, we can, we can assume if we're watching this blind that. They set this in motion because Takagi was killed. They don't have the code, but they need to get through. Like, can you hack it? They had the con- we had the conversation yesterday with Theo. Can you break it? And then we cut to those guys on the roof. So they're they're beginning to work. <laughs> it's totally not what's happening. Should we talk about what's actually happening then? Since we're not going to be like, because this yeah, is the go- minute. This is the minute where they're doing this. They're they're yeah. setting up these explosives under 
the helipad. Uh huh. Because they're gonna blow the because they're gonna blow the roof. That's hardcore. Yeah. They're gonna yeah they're blowing the roof to uh to fake their death so they can escape and make people think that they're gone and sit on the beach is, with their twenty percent. Yeah, because this is before. This is before. I don't know when did like identifying people by like dental records and like DNA like it might be hard to identify all of the bodies but why do they think how are they going to get out of the building then are they just going to like take that truck back out they blow the roof and then they just drive away and everyone assumes that the money's just gone I don't know it doesn't seem like a clean getaway even if it is successful I watched this movie just two hours ago, and I don't have an answer for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I was thinking when I was watching the end of this movie, when the explosion, when the big explosion does happen, and all of the the bonds are like raining down. It's it's this thing in movies, like money raining everywhere, and you see people like scooping up. But because these are like bonds that you have to go exchange somewhere for actual currency. Can't they just be identified as stolen? Like, can't Nakatoma, Nakatomi, the company can just be like, hey, these bonds were stolen. Don't let anyone exchange them for cash. But that's the entire point of negotiable bearer bonds is that they are not tracked. They're not they there is no there's no there's no way that they uh, can Can identify ownership from this. Oh, exactly. And so that's why. so that's why it's so silly that they don't really explain that in the movie. Uh, yeah, negotiable bearer bonds. You really can't. Uh, you really can't track this. them. You can't uh, find out. You know who they're owned by. They're they're as good as cash, essentially. Huh. Uh, if you know where to exchange them. Interesting. Do you and, think? Do you think this heist is the first one they've pulled? Um, I don't think so. Probably not. But they make this sound like this is going to be their last one. Yeah, probably. At least for a while. I mean, you you get six twenty percent of six hundred forty million dollars. That's a good uh, chunk of change. That's a, that's a good chunk of change. Yeah. Now, uh, so I got to mention real fast. Uh, whenever I think of the negotiable bearer bonds, uh, I think of whenever I think about you're just like, oh, they're as good as cash. They're they're like real cash. Uh, I think of the get, uh, work harder, die trying girl from Bob's uh, <laughs> Burgers. Did you get a chance to watch that, Gary? I didn't. I'm pretty sure I have seen the episode before uh-huh. when you were describing it to me off mic, but uh, I didn't get a chance to watch it again before we recorded today. All right. For, for anyone that's listening who hasn't seen this episode and you're you're a fan of Die Hard, even if you haven't watched Bob's Burgers, you need to watch this episode. It is one of my favorite <laughs> half hours of television of all time. It's uh, So the the kids of Bob's Burgers, they're, uh, they're working toward uh, putting on the fall musical. Uh the fan, like the, the kids in the family, are working on. Uh, they want to do Die Hard the musical. They want uh, the <laughs> Gene. He writes music and he wants to make Die Hard the musical. His yeah. like ex girlfriend, annoying girl, wants to make um, uh, Working Girl the musical. And Gene thinks that she's just trying to steal his thunder because, uh, of course, Working Girl is the sassy sister movie to Die Hard. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so they they have competing musicals going on at the exact same time, uh, and they're completely absurd. It's completely ridiculous. So much fun to watch. Uh, Well, it ends up that they have to put the musicals together into one. 
And so they make it uh, work hard or die trying girl. And <laughs> the music in Bob's Burgers is always phenomenal, but this is some of the best they've done. And one of my favorite lines is uh, when Theo, uh, when uh, Theo comes over to McLean, uh, uh, no, that uh, goes over to Gruber uh, in the play, and he goes, "Oh yeah, hey, I broke the code. Here are the bearer bonds, which are as good as cash for some reason." <laughs> for <laughs> and some so, it, reason. of course, they're pointing. I just love them pointing out just how silly it is. It's oh, really great. It's really. It's great. a. Oh, it's so good. Like I said, one of my favorite half hours of television. That's what I'm. I'm Victoria is has gone and done her. Uh, her marathon going through all the Alan Rickman stuff. I'm just going to go and watch Bob's Burgers. That's that's a good thing to watch. I love Bob's Burgers. I, I, you know, I'm not show. caught up on Bob's Burgers. I watched, I was binging it for a while, but I have a hard time keeping with TV shows that are more than a few seasons, like when I'm going at a, at a spurt. So I'll probably get back into it. I'll watch this episode and I'll just be, that'll be all I'm watching for the next couple weeks. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. how I consume stuff. I love that show. Louise is my spirit animal. Yeah. Gene is mine. Gene is mine, so. I'm like totally. Oh, does that make me Tina? (laughs) You're a strong, sensual woman. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Tina's pretty great, though. uh, (laughs) Exactly. uh, (laughs) (laughs) So we get we get this huge chunk of this um, of this minute. That's the the goons on the roof. And then we cut back to Hans and Theo. And Theo's sort of explaining how long it's going to take him to crack this. Uh, he says, 30 minutes to break the code, two hours, two and a half. I like that he hesitates here. Two hours, two and a half hours for the five mechanicals at the minimum. Like he doesn't, he's just kind of spitballing. I didn't catch this the first few times I watched this, this like little bit of conversation here that he's establishing, like even if the police show up, we need to stall or this isn't going to work. Like we need the time to get through here. I like that this movie doesn't only focus on John and his characters need to like save the day, right? Like even the antagonists have, conflict have things that they need to overcome in order to get what they're they're not he's not just the big bad like sitting on his hoard of money like ha 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 come and stop me i'm the bad guy right like he has motivation and things to do as well he's also got conflict and his is he needs to get through this these locks like it's not going to be just a walk in the park for him it's going to take a lot of time and the help that they could have gotten they didn't so now they're behind. And because he's because he's such a good character, you want to see him succeed at least up to the point where John, uh, John McClane stops him. Yeah, like it's satisfying that when they are successful, I'm just like, oh, like look at this guy, like he's they, they might get away with it, and like I don't think I would feel totally, I don't think I'd be disappointed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's interesting. It's just an interesting kind of way to light the antagonist to give him um an arc of a sort as well that's good you know there's so many movies that i've seen i don't know i just feel like action movies you just have like the bad guy who's the bad guy and he's the bad guy and we have to stop him because he's the bad guy but like 
Hans Gruber's not really like that. He's he's more complex than just like a big bad villain. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like I'm rambling a little bit. A little bit, but you know, in your own Gary way. It's how it goes. <laughs> so then Theo says, the seventh lock, however, is out of my hands. And we get this long pause as we see the vault that they're trying to break into. And and then Hans is like, I'm sorry. And that's the minute. He just says, he repeats, the seventh lock. And then we get cut off before he finishes his line. Mm-hmm. But, okay, so so there's seven layers of protection for this safe. There's the code, that's one. Five, me- he says mechanicals? Does he mean yeah. like, like, it's not like tumblers in a lock, though. He's like hacking it. Like, right later when we see him, he's typing. He's, he's like, he's, li- he's literally, he drills into it later on, though. Oh, you're right, you're right. He does. But he's, I guess I didn't really pay, I guess I need to like, keep an eye on Theo more. I watched him. I was really interested in him in his like back and forth in these minutes. But then when the action is actually happening, it's easy to like kind of disregard it. Cause his scenes feel very static for a long uh-huh. time because it does take him a long time to get through the safe. You're right. So does he just like straight cut through the five locks? I guess more or less. Yeah. And then the seventh is going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. We'll find out why tomorrow. There's not a lot of dialogue in this minute, but I do like, just again, I really do like the kind of back and forth between him and Hans. They 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 seem to, I think they seem to respect each other. I think Hans really respects Theo. I think Theo respects Hans. They've probably and worked together before, is the, the feeling I get. Absolutely. They have a good rapport between the two of them. He's like, you know... Yeah, he he trusts him to get the job done. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we'll talk about it tomorrow, but Theo kind of trusts Hans when Hans is like... D- does Hans just straight up say, trust me? Yeah, tomorrow. Um, you know, I, I need you to get through these locks, but, like, let me deal with... If you can't break through the last one, let me deal with that. Like, we'll come up with something. Mm-hmm. Or he's already got it. Maybe he's already prepared for it. It doesn't seem like he's surprised when he tells him the last one's electromagnetically sealed. I don't know. I like this vault, though. It, uh, I like that it doesn't look like a big vault door with, like, a spinny... Like a, like <laughs> like a, a bank vault. Yes, yes, yes. Right. <laughs> no, it's it's super cool. It's, it's got that lovely, like, oh, 80s high-tech look to it. Yeah, it's all glossy and silver and... Secure. <laughs> I just I don't know. <laughs> I didn't have a better word there either. The three the three qualities all safe should have. <laughs> no, right? Shiny, silver, and secure. Yep. Three uh, S's. What there's a so Theo scans like a key card or something that reveals the vault. Like the actual metal door of the vault. But on the other side there's like another metal panel, like on a little electronic um, I don't even know. It looks just like a like a like a little panel, like a key that you could punch a code into or something. Mm-hmm. And they don't like directly draw attention to it, but it seems important in the shot. Does it like? I think it does. I don't think it makes a sound, but 
Oh no, the screen doesn't change either. Okay. I wasn't sure if like something happened with it. I, I made a note. Oh yeah, it does. They pan up to it. And then the line of text that seems to be the green text across the black screen, like resets itself, like really close to the end of the minute in the last like five seconds or uh-huh. 10 seconds. And I just, I'm, I'm interested in like, do you think if they had like, is this the, this is the first layer. If they had the code, they could just punch the code in and then it's just the five locks that he's got to cut through. Is my guess, maybe? It seems like a code panel or like a. Yeah, a I think if entry. he. Yeah, if yeah if he had that first code, he'd be able to get through. But I don't know about those other five code, uh, the other five layers. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, how do. So if, if Takagi, the like head guy in this building, doesn't have the codes into their safe, what good is their safe? How do they just have. There's just stuff in it that no one can get to. Well, I think you need to have uh, multiple executives from, like, I guess all across the world, like in America and, you know, maybe they're, you know, maybe they're New York offices, maybe in Japan, may, you know, all talking together, this working is... together to unlock the safe. Interesting. It's, 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 it seems like a more sophisticated version of the, like, we have to turn the two locks at the same time. Right. <laughs> I guess. I can't think of any other reason why they would just have to straight up cut through these locks. Like if he can hack the system to get the code for the first one, it's interesting that it requires just like physical manpower for the, for the rest. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. The safe is weird. <laughs> that's, that's the fourth quality that all safe should have. They, sh- they should be weird. Who's yeah. this dude? Who's this guy in the background? Do we see him like again? There's a guy standing next to Hans in like one of the shots of the safe. That I didn't even see enter the room. It's at like 50 seconds when the safe, like the vault thing opens. There's a guy behind him on his left. I don't know who that is. In like a green jacket that I don't think I even saw enter the room. And I don't know if we, I don't, I'm sure we must see him again later, I guess. But I don't know. I couldn't find much information about him. He's just another, he's just another henchman. Hans has a lot of people in this job. Yeah, he does. (laughs) 13 seems like a lot of people for a heist. Gruber's yeah, thirteen. That's a lot. Of, that's a lot of a lot of shares. Yeah, yeah. It up. I mean, still though, six hundred and forty million, even split thirteen ways, is a lot of money. Let's see. That's one hundred twenty-eight million that they have. So it's about um, it's about ten million a piece if they're splitting all splitting it evenly. That's not terrible. But yeah. yeah, this then in that case, like I. I don't know. I feel like these guys are the kind of guys that they would retire for a while and then they'd just be like dissatisfied. Like, I feel this isn't we know that we get the impression that this isn't their first job. And I don't think if they had if they had made it out of this, if they had been successful, I don't think it would have been their last. No, definitely not. I don't know, man. (laughs) It's an impressive con. It's good. It is. It's really good. These guys are, these guys are, they're sharp. They know what they're doing. That's all I got for this minute. I think that's all for me too. Victoria, how do you feel? I feel like you're really quiet this minute. Not a lot going on this minute. Not a whole lot. I I think, I think it's surprising how quick some minutes go by when there's not a lot of dialogue. We had that first like half of the first minute where it was just John sneaking around. And then the first half of this minute, which is just them throwing ropes Throwing ropes. Throwing ropes. I don't know. They go by really quick. (laughs) That's okay. This week is almost over, guys. This is crazy. This is crazy. 
everybody come back tomorrow as we talk about minute 35 of Die Hard. Uh, you can find us at DuelingGenre.com. We do uh, Harry Potter Minute and Ferris Bueller's Minute off if you haven't been paying attention the rest of this week. You can find this show at Die Hard Minute on Twitter. What did I say? Die Hard and the podcast listeners limo on Facebook is the group. And uh, you can find all the rest of the episodes at DieHardMinute.com. Merry Christmas. Tell me you got that. I got it, I got it. Hit your heart on Channel 5.